welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word and uh, we're, we're excited to open it up and hear what you have for us, Lord. And um, but even as we think about the, the faith of Abraham and Sarah this morning, we're reminded of the, the violence and the suffering that's going on in the land they dwelled in. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bring peace and security um, to that land, to the land of Israel and Gaza and the surrounding areas, Lord. We, we pray that you would draw a multitude to yourself, Lord, as we think about in the past in that land as Jesus was walking and crowds were flocking to him. We pray, Lord, that the people of that region would flock to your son, Jesus. Lord, please send revival there, we pray. We pray you send peace. And we know, Lord, that soon you will come. And as the prophet Isaiah says, you will judge between the nations and decide the disputes of all people. You will make them beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not rise up against nation, neither shall they ever learn war again. We ask, Lord, that you would come quickly that you would bring peace and justice, that you would make all things new. We look forward, Lord, to your son, the great prince of peace. We ask him to come and reign over this world and make all things new. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, as we open this word, we just pray you would give us eyes to behold wonderful things in it. Give us faith to desire and receive the promises of Christ here. Lord, we pray that we would leave knowing that we had met with you, the living God. We know you're going to meet with us, and we're excited about it, Lord. Please have your way in this room, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Hebrews 11, and if you don't have a Bible on you, you could just Google Hebrews 11 ESV, Hebrews 11 ESV, and you could follow along. It's better if you follow along. This section we're in, Hebrews 11, is commonly called the Hall of Faith, and it's a gallery of Old Testament believers. And remember the reason we're here. The, the book of Hebrews is is really meant for a, a, an original small band of Jewish Christians living in the first century. And because of persecution and possibly 
pressure from uh, relatives and things like that, they were tempted to return to Judaism, tempted to leave Jesus and return to their old lives. And so he's encouraging them in this book to cling to Christ. And he encourages them that it won't be much longer and that the reward for, for being in Christ is great. He's going to fulfill all his promises. And so faith is the way, guys, that we do hold fast to Christ. We hold fast to him by faith. And this chapter is meant to strengthen our faith so that we'll trust the Lord more as we see how they trusted him and how he came through again and again. And so this morning, we're going to look at the faith of Abraham and Sarah. And what we're going to see in their lives is, though God makes us wait often really long times for the fulfillment of his promise, he always over-delivers. Isn't that true? He always over-delivers. And we're going to see that in this story. This story starts with God. So it starts with God, a gracious God. He comes to Abraham and reveals himself. Now, Abraham uh, grew up in a place called Ur, which is in modern-day Iraq. And how he got there is kind of a sad story. So you have Adam and Eve. They have Cain and Abel, their first sons. Cain kills Abel. Cain's line gets more and more violent as it goes, and we can see that in the family line. But there's a godly line, the line of Seth, and you're like, good, okay, this is the line of faith. And so there was a line of uh, Seth, but that line drifted too. You can see it kind of fizzle out. And by the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, you see that they're dwelling in the land of Ur. Abraham's father, Terah, is an idol worshiper. It says in uh, Joshua 24 that he worshiped other gods. And so you have this righteous line of Seth kind of dwindling out and the last bit of faith just flickering out. And Ur was known for all sorts of gods, but especially the worship of the moon. And so into this family that had completely lost its way, God comes and he calls Abraham to himself. And so this call is out of sheer grace. I mean, it isn't, you know, that Abraham's out there kind of seeking the Lord and you know, trying to follow his ways and God appears. No, this line is completely lost its way and God comes out of sheer grace. And Abraham's just another moon worshiper from this drifted line of Seth in the town of Ur. And so God calls him, God calls Abraham. I'm gonna read you the passage, it's in Genesis 12. God calls Abraham by grace and gives him this massive promise. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make a great nation of you. And I will bless you and make your name great, that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's three big promises there. There's a promise of a land, there's a promise of a people, there's a promise of a blessing. And, and God gave Abraham the faith to believe it. You know, he believes that promise from this God who came and revealed himself to him. And if you guys are Christians this morning, any of you guys who, who know the Lord, God did something very similar in your life. Like he came to you in sheer grace and revealed himself to you. You might not remember exactly when it happened. Some of you remember exactly when it happened. But you were going about your business, just like Abraham, living in idolatry, and God called you. And he made you alive to himself, and he opened your eyes, and he gave you faith to believe in his gospel promises. That happened to each one of you who trust in Christ. And the gospel promises, I've mentioned them a couple weeks ago, but let me read some of these promises that God's made to you in Christ. So if you're a believer this morning, these are promises God has made to you, he will surely keep. And these are the promises. I will forgive all your sin. I will live in and through you. I will never leave you. I will always hear you. I will meet your every need. I will return for you. I will resurrect and restore all you've lost, and I will cause everything that happens to you 
to work for your ultimate good. Does those sound good? Incredible, right? All by grace, all through Christ, we just receive it by grace. And so God called Abraham by grace. He makes him the amazing promises of a land, descendants, and a blessing. And then he says, in response, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. Now, this is a really big step of faith for Abraham. Abraham's 75 years old, okay? And he's very established there in Ur, you know? He's very comfortable, 75 years of age is not a good time to start over and go on the road, right? But it says in Genesis 12, 4, amazingly, so Abraham went. Isn't that amazing? I think we don't, like, we think about some of the failures of Abraham and stuff, but we don't think about the amazing faith he had. But God gave Abraham and Sarah amazing faith, okay? Abraham had faith that God would give him the promised land even before he saw it or knew where it was, I mean, it's one thing to not have seen it, but he didn't even like go, hey, it's here on Google Maps. It's like, you see, it's kind of nice. There's a lake here, you know, none of that, right? It says in verse eight of Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive an inheritance. And then listen to this. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God said, I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. Some people, when they're considering following Jesus, they have a lot of questions, you know, what kind of things is God going to want me to change? What kind of things will I have to give up? Will I be able to keep this relationship? And things like that, right? And they have a lot of questions about how am I going to do that? How am I going to live this, this new kind of life? What exactly does God want? And, and what we learn from this text is the Lord doesn't really offer you those kinds of details ahead of time, right? He gives his promise, and he says, go, I'll show you. And, and guys, we have to admit that some of those questions are just really us trying to maintain control of our lives anyway right? He shows us his promise. He shows us who he is. And then he says, come with me and I'll show you. He doesn't give us the details. He's like, get in the car. No, the other side, because I'm driving and I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you. Isn't that amazing? That's the way it works. A lot of times we're like, well, I kind of want to want to prenup on this, you know, like what exactly can he call me to do? And he's just like, come, I'll show you. So Abram had this amazing faith in God's promise of a land before he even saw it or knew where it was. And then Sarah had amazing faith in God's promise of descendants, even though they were 75 years old. Look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Writer Hebrews is very nice about the way he describes her age. You know, she was past the age. He's a little more brutal about Abraham's prospects of reproduction. Take a look at verse 12. He was as good as dead. <laughs> That's nice, you know? Nice to the ladies. You're as good as dead. But Sarah still had faith in God's promise. Remember in verse 1, it says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. And here's a great example of that, because there was nothing in their circumstances that would lead them to believe they were going to have kids. Quite to the contrary, right? So why did she believe? Look at verse 11. It says that Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. Isn't that a great reason? Isn't that a great reason to believe in the promises of God? I listed all those promises that God has towards you. And the reason you should believe in them is not your circumstances or anything you see, but that you consider him faithful who had promised. Because, guys, she didn't have blind faith that she'd receive a child. She wasn't, hadn't have wishful thinking. Faith is not a blind leap. It's not a leap in the dark. She knew exactly who she was trusting, and she considered him faithful. Sarah was trusting in a person, 
She was trusting God, who she knew was trustworthy. She had faith in him because she knew that he was faithful. And they waited a really long time for even the beginnings of this promise of descendants. They waited 25 years, which is a really long time when you start at 75. You know, they waited a really long time. And each year that went by, you can just imagine, each year, the cynical view of it would be that each year God did not fulfill his promise. Year one, year two, year three. Each one of those years was an opportunity for him to be cynical and despair. Guys, waiting's not easy. You know, some of you right now are waiting on the Lord for things, and it's not easy. Even for believers like Abraham, Sarah, who have biblical-level faith, literally, this was difficult. Waiting is a time of temptation, right? You wait on the Lord to fulfill his promises to you, and it's a, there's temptations to anxiety, right? There's temptations to despair. There's temptations to hopelessness. There's temptations to jealousy, as you see God doing things in other people's lives. There's temptations to anger. Anyone? Anyone? All of them? Right? There's temptations, right? There's temptations for us to sinfully take it into our own hands to fulfill the promise. And you remember the incident with Hagar? You know, Sarah got tired of waiting. She said, sleep with my servant Hagar. That'll take care of it. Right? It just shows how difficult it is to wait. You know, sin, guys, is impatience with God's promises. But waiting, guys, is also an opportunity to learn to trust him, which they did. They totally did learn to trust him throughout these years. I mean, you think about how long they waited for even the beginning, that one kid. And you think about by the time Abraham died, he just had a few descendants, right? It was just a few. You know, we know he had Isaac by that time, Jacob and Esau, maybe a handful of others. Very little, right? A, a long way from the sand on the seashore and the stars that fill the heavens, right, that God promised. And yet Abraham and Sarah they wouldn't see that promise fully come to fruition in their lifetime, but they still believed. And it's even more severe when you look at the promise of the land, because at least they saw a little trickle of the promise of descendants. They didn't see any of the fulfillment of the promise of the land. They saw the land, but they didn't possess it, guys. So you have, you have Abraham and you have Sarah. They leave their cushy life in her, super cushy, and they gave up everything in their old lives. And they arrive at the promised land, and you know what they find? Other people live there. The nerve, right? The nerve. It's occupied, right? And you think, okay, God, like, when are we going to take it, you know? And finally, in Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, he's not going to possess it in his lifetime. His descendants will. And he goes, oh, that'll be great for Isaac and Jacob and them. Nope. It'll be 400 plus years. 400 plus years. So this is Abraham's experience in the promised land, verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Guys, Abraham camped in the promised land for a hundred years, okay? Calls him at 75, he dies at 175. He probably wished it'd be earlier, you know, with his life. But he camped out in the promised land for a hundred years and didn't own any of it. Isn't that crazy? How many of you guys have been camping? Been camping. Has anyone not been camping? Okay. Okay, we need to get some of these people camping. I think it's important. Okay, so hand up again. How many of you have been camping? Keep your hand up if you love camping. Okay, considerably less, but still some. How many of you would like to camp for 100 years? Okay, all hands down. Maybe Matt. It's the freedom of it, right? You know, you're out there. 
camped for 100 years. And keep in mind, Abraham and Sarah, they had a nice home back in Ur, right? They had a nice home. They left it to be shown a land that God would give them and ended up as squatters in it for 100 years. And the one piece of the promised land that Abraham did actually own was he ended up buying a cave from a Hittite to bury his wife in. That's all he owned to the promised land. And I just ask you, like, how disappointed would you be? You know, you leave all the comforts to see a land God was going to give you, only to be told that you're going to wander it the rest of your life, just kind of staying out of the way of people that live there. That's basically what he's doing, right? He's like, oh, can't be here. Let's go over here, you know, for 100 years. And you're told that your kids will get it, but it's going to be, you know, 400 years later. How does... 2423 sound for inheriting the land. It sounds pretty far away, doesn't it? It's a little longer than that. You're like, will you even be in earth then? You know what I mean? Like, it's a long ways off. And I know some of you guys are reluctant to really trust the Lord because you're afraid he's just going to let you down. A lot of Christians think that. A lot of a lot of people feel like, you know, if I were to really kind of put myself out there in faith, if I was really to pray and trust God, just afraid he's going to fail me. And you might look at Abraham's story and go, that's evidence of it. See, that's what happens. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm afraid of, that I would trust God and I would end up disappointed like Abraham. But you know what the text says? Abraham wasn't disappointed. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't. He didn't see this as God's promise failing. Look, look at verse 9. See how he took this. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now look at verse 13. These all died in faith. He's talking about Abraham and his kids and their families. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city." Abraham wasn't disappointed that he didn't possess the land in his lifetime because Abraham had a lot longer timeline, a lot longer perspective on his life. His life did not just include that 175 years. He had a longer perspective of the timeline of his life. And with his eyes, with the eyes of faith, he saw something coming in the future that kept him going. Verse 13 says that Abraham saw the things God promised and it says, greeted them from afar. So you're thinking like, okay, so Abraham's looking at something in the future and he's greeting it from afar. I just want you to imagine this. Imagine Abraham, he's out on like the plains of Canaan, right? And he's looking off in the distance and he's all gnarled. It's good as dead. So he's like real gnarled looking, really cool looking probably, right? Really old, you know, let's say he's well over 100 and he's, he's looking off in the distance and his, his old eyes, he's kind of squinting and he's looking off at something and he's got this like super confident smile on his face. That's what he's looking like in the land as a sojourner. And you might think, as the people around him would think, what's he smiling about? <laughs> what does he see? He sees something in the distance, and it's got him totally happy. He's totally contented. He's greeting something from afar. What is it? 
You know, and you could say, well, maybe he's seeing in afar, he's seeing his descendants hundreds of years from then receiving the land without him. Maybe that's it. But I don't think that's it. And the reason I don't think that it's them inheriting the land in a few hundred years is because later in this chapter, after he talks about David and Samuel's faith and the prophets, all who actually did possess the land, it says this in verse 39. Take a look at it. Talking about all these people, including ones that have possessed the land, verse 39 says this, and these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. You're like, that's interesting. So David didn't even get whatever this thing is. Neither did Samuel, neither did the prophets. For all these, though they were commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So here's these people. They actually did possess the promised land as their home. They owned it. And it says that they didn't receive what was promised. This thing that Abraham's looking at and it's keeping them going. They didn't get that yet. They're still waiting for it. And notice they're waiting to get it with us. And you could say, well, maybe, maybe what Abraham's seeing in the distance is, is heaven. You say, well, depends on what you mean by heaven. Because all those people that died in that chapter are there. And it says they still didn't receive what was promised. So all the, the dead Old Testament believers also haven't received whatever this thing is. So what is it? You know, they're waiting for a homeland, it says in verse 14, a better country, a heavenly one, a city with foundations, a land to possess forever. That's not talking about like life after death. Like if you were to die right now in Christ, you would go to be with the Lord. That's not talking about life after death. That's talking about life after life after death. Should have had a diagram. So when you die in Christ, you go to life after death. You go to be with the Lord, which is far better, right? But then, after that, there is something that is life after life after death. And it's this homeland. It's this better country. It's this heavenly one. Abraham was looking forward to what would happen when Jesus returns, resurrects us, and makes the world new. And I want to read you a passage about it, and if you can, turn to it. It's Revelation 21.1. I actually had the deep privilege of reading this to a man, one of our brothers, yesterday, who is right at the edge of eternity and able to read this to him. And it's just a beautiful passage. Revelation 21.1. This is life after life after death. And this is the thing Abraham was like sitting there with that contented smile looking towards. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city. There's the city with the foundations. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Guys, that's the homeland old Abraham was seeing at a distance. That's the, the land that he was seeing as he lived in the promised land in tents. That's the better country that Abraham could see from afar. That's the city with foundations whose designer and builder is God. The city that he knew God was preparing for him. That's what kept him going is he knew that there was a better country coming, a better land. It's the new earth. 
you know? So, um, so Christ returns at some point, he resurrects his people, and then he renovates the entire world and makes it all new. So our ultimate state is not for us to go and be a pl- in a place designed for God, heaven as it is now, but that he will come down and live in a place designed for, for us. He will be our God. He will dwell with us on earth. Does that sound good? Let me put it this way. How would you like if instead of dealing with these world leaders and stuff that we deal with, and we do deal with them, um, Jesus himself came down and ruled over the earth took away all sin and death and disease and war and suffering, resurrected your body and took away any desires for sin. You would live forever healthy and um, for him. And you would dwell with him on earth. That's the ultimate state. Isn't that amazing? So you die now. That's awesome. Go to be with Jesus. That's better than here. But even better, and something that those people are right now waiting for, it says in Hebrews 11, 39 through 40, that they're waiting for is when we are in this resurrected world and resurrected bodies. And that's what made that hundred years of camping that Abraham did as a stranger, as an exile in the promised land, worth it. Worth it, right? He was never able to make that place his home, but by faith, he saw that God was preparing a home for him that was better, right? A better homeland. And what's cool about that is that he was able to enjoy that promised land. He did enjoy it, but he enjoyed it the way you enjoy an appetizer, right? Knowing that a full feast is coming later. And what's really cool about that is that if Abraham were in joy to be able to live in a land that he didn't actually possess, and he was able to enjoy what it was as an appetizer of a greater land coming, that's the way we should deal with our whole lives. Everything we have in this life, every good thing we've experienced is just merely an appetizer of the world to come. It's an appetizer. We kind of grab onto this, like we grab onto the appetizer tray and we're like, I'm not letting go of this thing. It's the appetizer. The feast is coming. There's a better land coming. God makes us wait a long time to fulfill his promises, but he over-delivers, always. Now, this letter, guys, remember, was originally written to Jewish Christians, and the connection for them would be clear. And let me draw the connection. The connection is this. Like Abraham had to leave Ur, never to return, they were called to leave their former life in Judaism. They were called to leave their father's houses right? And live in discomfort as strangers and exiles, even in their own culture. So their own culture became like a foreign land to them. They lived as strangers and exiles. And, and it was camping. I mean, compared to the impressiveness of the temple and the priesthood and the traditions that they had before, the early church would have felt like camping. Primitive. <laughs> Very little going on there. Very bare. And we too, guys, have been called out of our old lives to, to go out and live as strangers and exiles in our own culture. Do you guys feel like that? How many of you guys here feel like a stranger or an exile in this culture? You do, don't you? How many of you guys have felt more like it in the last 10 years? Okay, yeah, you guys are feeling this. How many of you guys feel like you live in a foreign land? When you raise your hand to that, that's good. Because that's reality. That's what this passage says. You're like, oh, I understand this verse more, right? Because you are strangers and exiles. This was never our place right? It agreed with us on a lot of things, but it doesn't any longer. It's a foreign land. We live here as strangers and exiles. We're here to, to be representatives of, of God in a foreign land. Like Sarah and Abraham, it's a time of waiting now, waiting for him to fulfill his promises. And like Sarah and Abraham, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get disappointed, to think God's not going to come through, to think he failed us, right? And, and whenever we do that, guys, we've got we to remember, like, 
He's not done yet. You know? We read a story and we don't like how it's going. The story's not over. He's not done yet. And we're going to endure those disappointments with joy if, like Sarah, we trust God's faithfulness. She considered him faithful to his promise. You know, do you consider God faithful to his promises he's made to you? Will he certainly do it? And, and like Abraham, if we could just like look in the distance, you know, and see the homeland that he's preparing for us, then, then all the things that happen here just don't carry as much weight, do they? He's just looking off in the distance with that contented smile and is like, I know what's coming, right? God makes us wait a long time to fulfill his promises, but he always over-delivers. I think he really over-delivers on the land. I mean, if you read Genesis 12, you're not thinking that Abraham's going to get the land of Canaan and the entire globe thrown in, were you? It's over-delivering, right? It says in Romans 4, 13, it says that Abraham and his offspring are heirs of the world, You'd think, oh, heirs of the promise land, heirs of the world. He's getting the whole thing. And God overdelivers guys on his promise of descendants. Look at verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The amazing thing is that just how many descendants Abraham has? Because we can think about his physical descendants, and that's impressive, how he's grown his people from just a trickle to a huge people and a, a people he's preserved. But then you've also got his spiritual descendants, right? Like, did Abraham know? Did he, did he know how many kids he'd actually have, kids from all over the world? Galatians 3 puts it this way. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Isn't that cool? So that you're part of that fulfillment of his descendants. You'd be really surprised, you know? You see him in the resurrection, I'm like, oh, I'm one of your kids too. And he's like, mm, you don't look quite right. <laughs> like Galatians 3 says. And this has been immortalized, right, in that great hymn of the faith, Father Abraham. That great hymn, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, <laughs> right foot, left foot, chin up, turn around, sit down. I don't know what the last part's, I don't know where that's from. Isn't that cool how like theologically sound that is? It's not gender inclusive, but it is theologically sound. But Galatians 3.29 says, if you are Christ, if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Because Jesus, guys, Jesus is the ultimate son of Abraham, isn't he? He is the ultimate son that Abraham waited for, right? Talk about making you wait. And talk about over-delivering, right? Jesus is that ultimate son. The promises to Abraham in Genesis, guys, aren't just some sort of ancient history. We're actually included in those promises if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're heirs of those promises. And, um, and this is all possible because Jesus, guys, Jesus is the true son that answered the call to leave his father's house, right? Jesus is the son who answered the call to leave his father's house. Jesus is the one who ultimately lived as a stranger in an exile in a hostile world. Jesus is the one who abandoned all his comforts for us. On the cross, Jesus Christ felt the God-forsakenness that our sins deserve so that we could be welcomed home, to give you a homeland, to give you a better country, to give you a city with foundations, the same one Abraham looks forward to. 
And to give you all those other promises, let me remind you of them again, because maybe you weren't listening before. But the promises are, I will forgive all your sin. I will live in and through you. I will never leave you. I will always hear you. I will meet your every need. I will return to get you. I will resurrect and restore all you've lost. I will cause everything that happens to you to work for your ultimate good. And Paul says all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And I just say this morning, if, if you're sensing that you want Christ in those promises, maybe for the very first time this morning, you're like, that sounds way better than I've ever heard it before. And I want Christ and I want his promises. You know what that is? That's God calling you just like Abraham. That's him calling you. That's him opening your eyes. That's him offering the promises to you. And it's all grace. And I just say, take the grace. Like, are you crazy? Take it. Take the grace. Receive the promise. And then like Abraham, you're going to go out of here, and you're going to go out with the Lord. That'll be a different way to live, right? And you're going to go out not knowing where he's going to take you. It'll be an adventure. But you'll know that what he's promised, and you'll know that he can be trusted to do all that he's promised. And he's going to make you wait. There's no doubt about it. But he always over delivers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son who answered the call to leave your house, to be a stranger and an exile here in a land hostile to him. And in the midst of that, to live a perfect life, to live the way we should have lived in our place to be our righteousness. And finally, to give up all of his comforts and to hang on the cross in ultimate agony, to take all the penalty our sins deserve and to be raised and ascended and now telling us clearly our sins have been taken away and our future is with him in a better country, in a better land. We pray, Lord, give us the eyes of faith to look forward like old Abraham and see it in the distance, to see you ready to welcome us in that land. And Lord, that that would give us all the joy to deal with anything we have to deal with in this life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.